Welcome to Mental Toughness with Dr. Rob Bell. Each week, Dr. Rob sits down with athletes, executives, and expert coaches to talk about mental toughness and their hinge moment. Here's your host, Dr. Rob. Um, and we can watch athletes all the time, specifically golfers. You know, when you tense up, when you care too much and it starts to affect what you're doing in terms of like execution, it's it's just a recipe for, for disaster. So again, <clears throat> we talked about, you know, subtracting, 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 subtracting. Like you're literally just trying to get into like a, who cares? I don't right. care. Yep. But we know, but we know we care. It's like the craziest, like, I care so much. We know that that's there. So you leave that. And then if you can find the other side, which is I don't care, like whatever the outcome is, is what the outcome will be. That is like, to me, peak performance. This podcast is brought to you by LiveMomentous.com. Leading the way in human performance is Live Momentous. For listening today, you get a discount at checkout. Enter the code DRB20. That's DRB, the number 20, for 20% off your order. Live Momentous. Optimize, perform, recover. Our guest today, I met him at the Waste Management Open, where, where you can find him. I mean, he's T-Box freestyle on the mic on the 16th hole. And I was blown away at the lyrical mastery of our guest and watching him. I'm like, man, this guy is so good, so talented. And you can tell the effort that he put in the craft. I got to get him on the podcast. And this was like three years ago because I couldn't go up to him on the mic and say, hey, man, by the way, while you're uh, uh, in between Reggie Bush and Michael Phelps here, you know, can you become a guest on the podcast? So that just wasn't happening. And I'm ruining the intro, but I have to put that backstory in there. Our guest is a musician who's shared the stage with OAR, Goo Goo Dolls, Weezer. I'm telling you, we're fortunate to have him because if you haven't heard of him, then you will. He's that good. I mean, on his website, testimonials, Adam Sandler, Tiger Woods, Steph Curry. Um, I mean, every PJ Tour player raves about this guy, uh, not only because of his talent, because he's just a good person as well. I mean, our guest, he started playing at age 12 when he received his first guitar, father two, husband or Renee. None other than Kelly James. Kelly, my man, but thanks so much for taking the time. So glad we got to do this. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It was a uh, it was a, a a long time coming. I wish I I could have gotten on here earlier, but uh, be, through the travel and the and a little bit of sickness, we finally got it done. Yes, sir, man. Well, let let's start up. I mean, you grew up you grew up in the Bay Area, and let's just start with the music scene, kind of in there. I mean, you know, what was the music you were listening to? You know, at at that time growing up, that really stuck with you. Yeah, I mean, it was you know standard '90s. It was grunge rock it was you know gangster rap and kind of those two things were sort of separate truthfully um you sort of chose one you were quote-unquote alternative or you were you know into into hip-hop but it was just like a line in the sand and to me i just love both styles and i was always looking for ways to combine both styles can i play guitar and can i have rap music be a part of that and that was just the goal mm -hmm. i mean didn't and that's why I always thought it was special about like Beastie Boys and Sublime, right? Because they crossed those. I mean, Beastie Boys had a lot more sampling on there, but man, when they came out, I was like, dude, this is this is legit. Yeah, I mean, you just you you really look at like moments in music 
And I think the most special moments happen when um, two different styles are, are blended together in a really creative way. So you use the example of Sublime. That's probably the one that hits closest to home for me. It was just, you know, I say it all the time on stage, but they took reggae, punk rock, they took pop music, they took hip hop, they took literally everything you could think of and they matched it all together in a style that mathematically shouldn't have worked, but I, I think it did. I think their music still stands up today. Um, and, you know, I, I just think that there was an energy about that, something really unique. So for me, it was just, you know, unintentionally finding a way to take the music that I really enjoyed, which was, you know, guitar-based rock music and, and rap music, and just trying to figure out a way to put those two things together. I, I didn't know what I was doing or why I was doing it, but it just felt natural to me. And, and you know, letting those influences kind of come together in whatever way they do, um, you know, that, that that's just where I started with my little musical journey. Yeah. I mean, kids today, man, they're still wearing Sublime t-shirts and Tupac t-shirts. So obviously they did something, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, the, the crazy part to, to that point, though, is, you know, they were making music from a place of like true authenticity right. and like it was the core of what they were it was the lifestyle truthfully to both of their kind of detriments like you know mm -hmm. they lived that life like tupac lived that gangster rap life like bradley noel lived that kind of surf drug influence punk rock life um and 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 i think the authenticity of the lives that they were living came across in, in the music. And I think that's what makes it so potent. Um, you know, for any art form, when something is just real, people feel real and, and it could, it could come across in, in, in a, in a multitude of different ways. And it doesn't necessarily need to be like this ultra hard, aggressive, real thing. Like, you know, I think Taylor Swift is as real as it gets. Like she's writing pop songs about, you know, uh, teenage love and, and stories that kind of follow that, that through line. But, but it's you, when you listen to her, it sounds real. It sounds authentic. She backs it up on, on every front. Um, you know, I do the, the little freestyle rap thing, which, you know, especially in the golf world specifically, it's real. It's in the moment. It's, it's about what's going on. Like you can't fake it. You can't synthesize it. Um, I make mistakes while I'm doing it. it, it it's, it's authentic. It's not this pre-written prefab thing. Um, and I think that moment is a real moment, not to toot my own horn. Um, but you know, I think that artists always have to figure out ways to just create something or capture something that's real and authentic. And when that happens, that's kind of where, the, the the magic starts to thrive mm -hmm. when you say that too and i think of like off authenticity when it comes to music like i think that's probably like what made bob dylan so special as well right because you know he didn't care about like that specific folk fan base he was going to go electric because that was something like he wanted to do i mean do you think when it comes to creativity that you have to just say so true to in terms of like, Hey, I believe in this project. This is something I want to do and, and not really think about, Hey, how that's going to be received necessarily, but be so driven by your vision and what you're trying to do. hundred percent. I, I think it goes outside of music. I think that it goes truthfully into like every aspect of life. 
Um, you know, you can roll down the list of like areas where that philosophy is so beneficial. You know, you start, you talk about, you know, entrepreneurs, you talk about, you know, a business philosophy, like authenticity, it, it, that, that's what life is. Just think about all the people that we love in our lives and we love them mainly because they're so genuine. Like those are the people that we're drawn to in our lives and they could be genuinely funny. They could be genuinely serious. They could be genuinely loving. But like when you see something that is authentic and something that is real, you can feel that like, it's not a, you know, we have like a pretty good filter as humans of like, okay, what's real, what's not, what's fake, what's not, um, what's authentic, what's, you know, fabricated. And, um, you know, again, you use the Bob Dylan example, he was just following what he thought was great. And, you know, uh, I watched this little interview on Rick Rubin, you know, legendary producer, and he was just talking about the artist that, that he worked with and his influence. And his thing was like, I don't really play music. I don't really know, uh, you know, an A minor from a, a, a D7 diminished ad nine. He doesn't know music theory. He doesn't know any of those things. He just knows what he likes. And he has faith that, if he likes it and he really genuinely believes it, he trusts that other people are going to like it and believe it. And and that's really, you know, I think the the essence of number one, any creative, but just humans in general. It doesn't matter what it is. It's it's no different than, um, you know, again, a uh, an entrepreneur or you know even you know, you run down the the line of other things in life. You know, like authentic love, like as a parent, like to like truly love. A child in like a very meaningful way um, or to discipline them in a meaningful way on the other side of the spectrum like when it's authentic and you care and you know that they know that you love them and you're doing this for a reason um, you know I, humans just respond to authenticity um, and you know for me we can go back to the music example but I've always just searched for just what is real? How can I be more like me, you know, and, and without going on a rant and super deep down the rabbit hole, I think a ton of artists in general and people for that matter, and I'm as guilty as anyone else, you have this vision of what you think you are and you kind of like, you know, we all do it, you know, the, your teenage years are a great time to do it, but you try to like manufacture uh, this thing that you think you are. And I think the goal of every human, specifically musician, surely, um, and creatives in general is like chipping away at all that kind of stuff that you think you are and actually getting to a place where you just are you. And if the thing can work, just you being you, then it's really going to work because that's as authentic as it can be. And I've always mm -hmm. said, like, if I can just kind of be me, you know, I'm not like this crazy, crazy, um, you know, rated R human. I'm not this like super, you know, wild personality. I, if I can just like dress the way that I dress in real life on stage, if I can talk about the things that I like talking about on stage, play the songs that I like listening to on, sta on stage, like in real life, if those things, then if they can connect, then, you know, that that's where the magic happens. And again, sorry for the rant, but I think it all just comes back to that little core value of authenticity. Right. The, the part that I love about that, Kelly, it's like, I always say the mental game is more about subtraction than it is addition, right? It's about removing that noise and those things that can get in the way of you doing you. Yes. I mean, again, that's, that's exactly, that's really life. Like once you, I, I, not that anyone could ever master life, but like, I think once you really get in your zone, life is about subtraction. And it's not in a negative way. It's just refining and refining and refining and refining. And truthfully, like 
removing negative energy from your life, removing things that don't like feed like your main goal. Like though that 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 to me is um it's such a crazy like um I don't know if it's like Zen, I don't know the way to classify it, but like that is like the essence of kind of mastering living. Um, and you know, I think as as when we're younger, we want to add. You want to add stuff. You want to add things. You want more of that. You want more of this. If I have 30 of these, I'll get this. When in reality, it's about how do you subtract everything that is not like so like detailed on that core mission and making sure that like you're just very simplistic in that approach. Like the to your point, the subtraction that's the essence of like in my mind like true success true productivity true just like clear mind clear head subtract 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 and then you're going to get to this like ultra potent little core energy and like that is that's the holy grail to me yeah man Hey, good looking. If you like this podcast and are already a badass, but it's all way too complicated, then visit our website, drrobbell.com, and schedule a call with us to help capture your very own hinge moment. You know, you're kind of like a quarterback then in a, in a two minute drill, right? Like, no show you ever do is the same. I mean, you are. You were dialed in, having to improvise, having to make plays. Um, the hinge moment, I mean, your freestyle rap was just that, right? It started as a stopgap, like when when he, one of your stage shows had issues. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I mean, again, I always loved rap music, as we talked about before. But I was listening to, like, Dave Matthews, The Beatles, The Rolling Stones, Jimi Hendrix, Zeppelin. And then I was also listening to, like, Tupac, Biggie, Jay-Z, Nas, like, roll down the list. And... I always wanted to put them together. I always wanted to find a way that I could bring in that cadence. Um, and so I would rap during shows, but I would just make up words sometimes, you know, especially just hanging out with my friends. I'd make up songs about my friends for hanging with girls, whatever, or just, you know, in high school doing whatever. And that became just a way for me to have like another little creative outlet. Again, nobody I knew or had seen was playing guitar and freestyle rapping. So I didn't even know if that was possible truthfully it was like a i don't know i i I really didn't think that you were allowed to do it if i'm if i'm being honest i thought it was kind of like this oh no no you can't do those two things and people told me all the time like you kind of can't do those two things but i just kept doing it people liked it and it it, like to your point it was a stopgap kind of in a show if something went wrong or if there was like a lull or a weird moment i would just freestyle and start rapping about stuff and i started to notice that that thing was the spark. That was what kind of got the most, you know, again, like real response from people. Um, and it was the thing that that people kind of came back and, and, and talked about the most, um, you know, when, when I would ask about like, oh, what'd you like about the show or what was, you know, just feedback in general. And then I just started to really sort of double down on it in the shows and started, started to incorporate it in a bunch of different ways. Um, and like I said, it was really just about capturing a moment. It was about being present and, you know, essentially sharing that like tiny little moment in time with the crowd where we all knew that, 
you know, okay, cool. This is, this is now, this is about us. This isn't, you know, anything that's been thought of before. Um, and will probably, you know, never be, you know, mentioned or, or thought of again. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was kind of, kind of how it started. The one thing that's interesting is when you're talking about like that moment, like that's what sport asks us to do. Sport is really just saying, be here. Like nothing else matters. Like if you were participating or even if a fan, right, it's like, be here, be in the moment. So every sport's asking the distractions are the outcome, how it's going to work out. You even take it to a next level because you then in the moment get to interact and share that with the crowd. Where if you're an athlete, a lot of times, yeah, you can share off the energy, but you're the one that's kind of giving in the feedback, but you get to actually share that with the audience. Totally. And, and, and you made the sports analogy before. And, um, you know, again, my, uh, my illustrious athletic career ended uh, my senior year in high school. So by no means am I a world-class athlete, but I do like take so many elements of sport. Um, and I, and, and I personally view that like as my, um, that's my angle in music is, is being a quarterback. I played quarterback in high school, that mentality of like, okay, we got to make a play here. We got to change things on the spot. We have to execute. We have all these other components going on um, and nothing's going to be perfect. Nothing's going to be the same. Um, We were trying to run, you know, uh, uh, these 10 plays, but the first four didn't work out. So we're going to audible out of the last six and we're going to figure out, you know, how to win this game no matter what. Um, And, you know, for me, that kind of, you know, in the moment feeling was, was definitely, you know, and still is the driver. And then to your point, to, to be able to share that with an audience and have them feel that with me um, is pretty cool because, you know, when I get random topics um, and, you know, nobody knows, including myself, what's going to be said, um, that, that's a, that's a pretty cool moment. Um, And that's something that I do really enjoy personally and knowing that I can kind of give that little uh, experience to, uh, you know, to an audience. Yeah. You've spoken before. I mean, you've had stage collapses, instruments break, sound systems fail, audience members throw stuff at you. When I look at freestyle, <laughs> right? Like when I look at it, I think it's, it's such an extreme ability to adjust and really our ability to adjust is mental toughness. Um, you can take that kind of in any way you want, man. But it was like, you know, can you talk about that? Your ability to adjust because you, you've also spoken about no two shows are ever the same that you do. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I think that in life setting expectations is super important. I think in life having standards is super important. I think in life having goals is super important. With that said, that's not like real life in that there's so many things that get thrown at us day to day. And it's like our job is like successful human beings to just adapt and modify and understand that it's never going to be what we thought it was going to be. And we just have to change and modify and change and modify and change and modify. And it's okay if there's chaos and it's okay if, it, if things go wrong, it's our job to just figure it out and, and, and continue to move forward. Um, you know, pulling from so many different analogies, like distance runners, you know, that get into those ultra marathons, 
have this friend, Eric Burns, who does like crazy races, former pro athlete. And, you know, his philosophy is just, it's just one foot in front of the other. You know, it's like, no matter what happens, you just put the next foot in front of the next foot, crazy metaphors up and down that, um, for life. But, you know, in the moment, um, you know, while I'm on stage, it's, it's always changing. And we go into so many different environments, um, that, that aren't really conducive for a quote unquote concert, you know, in a traditional sense. Um, we have, you know, we did 127 shows last year, 127 different venues. Some of them weren't traditional music venues and it's our job to stand on stage and, you know, figure out ways to present like an awesome entertainment experience for an audience that, you know, is going to change and, and fluctuate throughout the night. There is going to be nothing that is the same. We can have certain expectations for it, but, you know, there's nothing that um, we could plan on. And it's just about, again, just continuing to stay in that zone. You talked about mental toughness, like just staying right there, like, and not, you know, getting kind of swayed either way if things go wrong or if it, you know, you made a decision and a choice and it didn't turn out the way you wanted to. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that as humans, making sure that, you know, we're always like accepting of kind of chaos and problems and, you know, bad things that can happen. If you can sort of accept it and just one foot in front of the other and keep on rolling, um, I think that's a great way for anyone to live life. Um, you know, we do it on stage in, in real time and um, mm -hmm. it's, it, it, it is a wild journey up there. But um, again, I think it is a, just a good life lesson in general. Yeah, well said, man. I mean, I look at like there's two types of comedians, those that have kind of their stick, right? Like they're going to set it up, knock it down, set up, knock it down, whatever that is. Um, but then there are those that like work the crowd and they will throw stuff out and they will just be working the crowd the whole time. And that, that's their thing. And I've, I've always been amazed by that because I've always had a fear. Like if I'm speaking, like I can, I can crush it. No problem. But if I give the audience the mic, I don't know when I'm gonna get back. And that's always been like, and, and, you know, rightly so, man, that's always been like the fear, but your ability to use that is, I mean, my question when it comes to that, when you are using the crowd and working with the crowd, like what are some of those tactics and tricks that you do, um, you know, to take what the audience has given you at the time and then to be able to uh, massage it and make it into like a great product like you do. Yeah, I think the I think the real like the real trick is to not expect a great product. Um Love I think it, the man. real trick Yeah, I think the real trick is just to have faith in the skill set and understand that like not every show is going to be great. Not everything you do is going to be great. Um it's this weird balance and, and, and I don't know, I, I, I've had this conversation with a lot of athletes. We all know, like when we play our best or when we do our best, you kind of can't care. Like, and it's almost like this continuum that connects on the other side. You literally have to like not care, but inherently you care more than anything in the world. Like this is what you do. Um, so you, <laughs> like on one end, you're just like, you know what? I don't care how this turns out. I know that I did a lot of preparation. I know I'm going to try as absolutely as hard as I possibly can. And I know that I want this to be as great as possible. But if it doesn't turn out that way, that's fine. 
And I guess when you verbalize that last line, like, oh, if it doesn't turn out that great, it's, that, that's fine. It sounds kind of flippant and that you don't care. Um, but I, I guess the best way to describe it is like just operating from a place of like, okay, whatever happens, happens. I'm going to do my best. I know that. And like, of course, my goal is 100% every single time, absolute perfection, n no corners cut. Like we know that that's what it is. But I'm also realist enough to know that okay, that's not going to happen every single time. So whatever happens is going to happen. It won't be from a lack of me trying and it won't be from a lack of me not inherently caring, but it's going to happen that way. I'll deal with whatever those consequences are. And I think that's where the magic happens. I think that's where you open up. I think that's where you allow things to happen. And I think that's where you can operate in like this super free space mentally because you know that you're gonna, you've tried, you know you put the work in, you know that you deserve to be in that position. And now you just gotta go roll the dice. Like, you know, you're, you're not gonna, you're not gonna, you're not gonna win every time. It's not gonna be amazing every time and that's okay. You're gonna mm -hmm. learn, you're gonna get better and that's only gonna add to your confidence. And I, again, you would go back to the athlete thing. When guys, you know, you look at like a, a Patrick Mahomes or like Steph Curry's like my, it's like the best example. It's like, you watch Steph Curry, of course he wants to make every single shot. Of course he wants to win every single game. That, that's not even a question. And of course he put in an insane amount of work in the offseason to get himself to a certain position. Then go play the game. And he plays in this free way. And that ability to play free, that's where all the magic opens up. There is no tense moment. There is no, uh, you're not going to make a mistake because... You, you you were scared of the outcome. You're just like, cool, let's go. I'm going to just roll the dice. There's a million times where I stand on stage and I'm just like, oh, my God, this is going to be a disaster. Like, <laughs> mathematically, this is not going to work. But you know what? I stand up there and I roll the dice. And there's been so many times where, like, it's actually been the complete opposite. It's been, like, absolutely magical. And then there's been times where I do get tense and I do get, and I do get worried and what if, uh, and most of the time that doesn't turn out too well for me personally. Um, and we can watch athletes all the time, specifically golfers, you know, when you tense up, when you care too much and it starts to affect what you're doing in terms of like execution, it's, it's just a recipe for, for disaster. So again, <laughs> we talked about, you know, subtracting, 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 like you're literally just trying to get into like a, who cares? I don't right. care. Yep. But we know, but we know we care. It's like the crazy is like, I care so much. We know that that's there. So you leave that. And then if you can find the other side, which is, I don't care. Like whatever the outcome is, is what the outcome will be. That is like, to me, peak performance. That's Steph Curry in, you know, in the playoffs doing Steph Curry stuff. Yeah. And absolutely. Because it's like, you know, I look at that balance there of, we care about the process. You care about your preparation. You put everything you have into that. Mm -hmm. And then when you do that, there has to be already heading in, like you said, man, an acceptance of the outcome and it's going to be what it will be. Like I want somebody, yep. this is my personal uh, sick Lex Luthor sort of, uh, I want somebody to hold up a trophy when they win and they're so focused on the process and what they've done that they'll hold it up and actually say it, it is what it is. You know what I mean? No one would ever say it because they're going to cross as a dick. Right. You know what I mean? But it's like yep. they focus so much on this 
because mm-hmm. no one's ever saying it is what it is when something good happens, you know, but it, right. We're always saying it is what it is when something bad happened. I want them to hold it up and say, Hey, it is what it is. I just did my thing. I love that. I love that. I mean, and that's really, that's the zone. Like that's, yeah. that's where it is. You, you're either holding the trophy or you're, you know, pounding sand outside the arena, but it is what it is. Like, it's just, that's, that's kind of what it is. And, and if you're willing to accept both those outcomes, good or bad, and you're willing to put in the preparation and the work and truthfully dedicate yourself a hundred percent in the moment and give max effort, then to your point, it is what it is to just it win or lose. It was going to go either way. Um, so talk to us then about like your freestyle, how that just equates into like surfing, for instance. Oh, great question. Um, you know, again, we go back to the sport analogy. When I surf, I'm in like a crazy, it's a very similar state, um, to like freestyle rap and just like a state that I love to be in. And by no means am I a a, a great surfer, um, but I really, really enjoy it. And, um, you know, pre-kids, I used to surf every day. Um, I live here in Manhattan Beach and, you know, it, it is my favorite thing to do, just being in the ocean in general. And I can body surf. I can do whatever. I just want to be in the ocean, splashing around. If it involves waves of any kind, body surfing with my kids, I'll boogie board, I'll surf, I'll do anything. Um, when I surf, it's like an infinite amount of possibilities and no wave is the same. Um, you're trying to execute in the best way possible with what you're given. Um, so certain days, the swell can be amazing. The waves are perfect and other days it can, the wind can blow out the whole thing and it can be absolutely horrendous, but you're just trying to maximize what you've been given by the ocean. You have no say in it. It is way more powerful than you'll ever be. And it is so unpredictable. Um, and that, again, that's the metaphor for life right there. Um, and it's just your job to take in whatever is given to you whatever that ocean gives to you. Oh, wow. I was in this spot and it gave me that wave. Now it's my job to go execute on this wave to the best of my ability. Kelly Slater is going to do a hell of a lot better job than I am, but I'm going to do a 10 out of 10 for me. Um, and I'm going to work out and I'm going to train and I'm going to do the things necessary to be a good athlete to, to surf the wave the best that I can. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm just going to do the best that I can with what I've been given. That goes back to what we've been talking about, you know, so far is it's just like, hey, there's a variable out there. You don't know what it is. It's your job to prepare and do whatever you possibly can to put yourself in a position to succeed. And then you just have to be cool with the outcome. Obviously, surfing is like a super enjoyable thing. I don't do it for a living. I don't get judged on it. So, it, you know, every wave I ride is a 10 out of 10. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the same mental space of surfing, which is taking something in meeting that with a certain amount of preparation and accepting the outcome, you know, that's, that's, that's really like what I do when I freestyle. That's what, you know, I feel like people who are performing at their peak, peak, peak level do. Um, Surfing to me just doesn't happen to fall in the job category. So it's only enjoyment. There really is no downside. If I'm in the ocean, it's a good day. You know, I mean, this is what I've noticed about elite performers, right? Is there's, maybe there's some areas where they just don't care at all about the preparation, but like even on the things that we do that are enjoyment, like we really want to be good at it. And that I kind of bring that out because like I wanted to hear your experience with 
you know, the, the organic nature of that wave and, and melding with it. And um, that's why I kind of asked that, man, because I mean, I, I really yeah, come I mean, across people that aren't driven on all areas. Yeah, I mean, I would say I definitely, I swim, I work out, I watch surf videos, I buy the right equipment, I do all the things that you could possibly do to be great at that thing. Um, I would say that, you know, the beauty of surfing, at least for me, is that it does just sit in a category. I allow myself to just purely enjoy that thing. Yeah. Golf, not so much. I'm super critical on myself on the golf side, um, a lot of other things. But like for whatever reason, surfing just sits in a category for me where I'm in that ocean. I just feel lucky to be there. Every wave that I catch feels like a gift. Um you know, maybe because it's no phones, no uh, distractions. Mm -hmm. I can be by myself. It's just a very meditative space for me. Um, and you know, again, there's no scorecard with that for me. Um, yeah. I don't go, I don't go to the gin app and, and post how many waves I caught and you know, w what I felt like my performance was on each wave. So it does do sit they, do in a very that? unique spot for me. <laughs> they, you, they actually have, I, I know a lot of surfers, I think use Strava, like the same thing oh, that, okay. um, sure. that, that runners use. Um, but, um, you can like, you can track your ways, you can count all of it. Um, but I, mm -hmm. I, I, like, I refuse to wear a watch when I'm out there, right. like time doesn't exist. Nothing exists. Like it's my, it's my little like happy zone for my brain Absolutely. to just kind of let it go. A hinge moment that I was wondering if you could share about like your introduction, you know, into golf, but in the PJ tour, I mean, Gary McCord approaches you in Scottsdale, gets you to write some songs, um, you know, don't bring it, start from there. If that's a good uh, lead in for it, man, how this <laughs> kind of evolved. And then when you were thrown into freestyling, you know, with actual groups, you know, George Clooney, Cindy Crawford, Phil Mickelson, Andy Garcia, right? Like that was the first group you had to go with, man. I mean, you know, tee it up, man, and take us from there. Yeah. I mean, the, the kind of short, short of it is, um, I used to play in Scottsdale all the time. Um, Gary McCord had seen some shows. I played a lot of stuff around professional golf. He wanted me to write a song about Freddie Couples. I go over to his house. We write the song. We write another one about Phil Mickelson. We write another one about Martin Keimer. And um, I, we ended up doing this event where um, all these tour pros and, you know, a, a few other um, kind of guys that were in that uh, professional golf space were playing a tournament. There were probably 60 guys. They were hitting this shot and Gary McCord would introduce them in like a funny way. We played the three songs. The Freddie one went over pretty well. Phil Mickelson, um, you know, Martin Keimer at the time. And uh, I think it was Pat Perez who saw me with uh, J.J. Dudem and, and Mike Melman from uh, Discoveryland. And they, Pat Perez called me, kind of linked the whole thing up. I didn't really know what I was getting into. I thought we were just going to play a show, um, you know, and we, which we did on the, on the driving range for like, you know, again, 50 minutes, whatever the time is. In the a.m., And then right? I didn't understand. Yeah, in the morning. And I didn't understand that they had a, uh, that they had a separate, uh, you know, setup for us with all our instruments, a duplicate setup on the first hole of, uh, of this tournament at Madison club. And, you know, it was, uh, it was a, it was a crazy little, uh, it was a crazy little day. They just hand me the T sheet. I had no information on anybody. And, um, it was, uh, it was Phil, it was Larry David. It was, uh, Jerry Weintraub, who I was a huge fan of, um, you know, legendary Hollywood producer. 
And um, that was the first time I, that I ever did the T-Box freestyle. And that was, you know, five hours straight. And I remember thinking at the time, like, thank God I'll never have to do this again. You know, it's just such such a crazy long day. And um, we've, we've done a bunch of them since. So it's been about 11 years doing it. And it's it's I've met some of my, you know, now closest friends doing it. And that just morphed in from, you know, from that experience. I mean, how how well, like, did you, when you got into that, because you were basically thrown into it. I mean, here's George Clooney. I mean, you got to throw like, some, I'm assuming like some Batman stuff in there, but it's like, where, <laughs> like, what did you, you drew on your experience at that point And then just, it just organically happened. Yeah. I mean, you know, and it's still kind of what I do. Like, I just try to consume a certain amount of information and know that like, I, I just, I guess the way I approach the consumption of information is just different now. And it has been for about 15 years. I've been touring for about 17, um, maybe 18 years now. And I quickly learned that I needed to consume information in a different way in that every single piece of information is important. Like it just, it's important. Doesn't matter what it is. It's important. So like, you know, looking on your wall back there, RSM classic, like I gotta know, like who are the sea Island guys? Like, is it Davis love and, you know, Zach Johnson and St. Uh, who are the dudes there? We got masters. We got somebody winning some kind of national championship. Can't see like, how could I, how could I take things that I've already seen and learned and bring them into the moment? So you know, you just take those three things. It's like over the last seven years, like, of course, there've been articles about the RSM classic. Like, of course, the history of the masters is important. Of course, whatever national championship, you know, volleyball or whatever back there, like I better know, like every single piece is valuable. Um, so if I turn on, you know, I got two TVs right here. One usually has sports or sports center, something in that zone. And one has like some kind of like news centric, financial centric thing. And Everything that 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 pops up is important. You know, I, I subscribed to all these magazines. I know it's kind of archaic, but like I just flip through magazines, random magazines, and every ad, every article is important because I'm there's going to be a point where somebody's going to ask um, or you know freestyle you know moment comes together and it's like I got to figure out a way how to you know talk about RSM or I got to figure out a way to incorporate, um, you know, some national championship volleyball team, you know, like that Nebraska women's team that, you know, sold out the uh, stadium there and largest attendance ever, like those little articles and those things matter. And just the consumption of information on that front for me has always been, you know, the tool and kind of the powerful driver. So every detail to you is important. Yeah, it really is. And, and, and it's, it, sometimes it kind of drives me a little nuts, but um, I just, I put myself in a position where, you know, I'm going to ask for a random topic on stage in front of a bunch of people. And it, it's happened a few times where I literally know nothing. Um, I actually, <laughs> I went on this surf trip probably, I don't know, maybe eight years ago, somewhere in the zone. Um, I went on a surf trip to Fiji for like 10 days Nice. And I looked at nothing. It was kind of like a cleanse. I wasn't really like my whole thing was, I'm not going to read anything. <laughs> and I flew directly from Fiji to Las Vegas, which was already shocking in and of itself, just like the craziest culture shock. And I played a show. And I want to say the show was like for Corona. 
Um, and it might've been for their parent company. Um, but I want to say it was for Corona. And in that 10 day window, the song, uh, uh, Gangnam style, um, had, had, had essentially broke and the world knew what it, what it was. Every single person in that audience knew what Gangnam style was. I had no idea. Like literally you could have played this song. It meant nothing to me. And I remember somebody saying it as the uh, freestyle like topic, and my face just being like, "Gangnam, Gangnam, Gangnam, Gangnam." What? What are you talking about? And the whole audience was literally like, "Like, how do you not know what this is? Like, this is the biggest thing that's happened this week. Like, everybody knows this song, and I just didn't know what it was. I, I didn't, I didn't hear it. I didn't read about it. I had no idea. So, with that said." Um, it's just important for me to to make sure that I know at least a little bit about about it about a lot of stuff. That's hilarious, man. Because you literally, I wasn't under a rock, but I was just in Fiji, sir, for the last ten days. Man. Yeah, I, you know how do you? But how do you explain that? They're just like this guy's an idiot. Like what? Yeah, yeah. you know um, nothing. If you can, man. So what are the basics of like starting off a freestyle with the flow, the the feel, the rhythm, like? You know, because I'm always curious about that, man. Like, how do you like? What are the, what are the drops that you kind of get in there? Like, walk us through that, man. Yeah, I mean, I think that like you're always trying to come up with some lines that are like memorable for me, like a little bit funny. Um, you know, I always try to like figure out a way to find the line between like something that's like really intelligent and really funny. That's kind of like the holy grail. Like, if you can sort of just nailed like that exact midpoint between those two things um but i think for me it's it's really just like unlocking the brain you know like i'll take like usually just a second or two just to kind of get my head in a space where it's like okay here we go we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna let this thing happen it's either gonna come and it's gonna flow or it's not um but we're just gonna try to free it all up and just go and 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 it goes back to what we were talking about before just being okay with the outcome, you know, like that's, that's been the hardest part for me um, to, to just hammer in over, you know, again, the last 18 years is like, it's just okay. Like whatever happens is okay. I know I put in the work. I know some days it's going to be so good. Like there's just certain times where like, I can't miss, like, I just can't miss. And then other times where like, I can't, do it to save my life. Like I can't rhyme words. It just, there's nothing creative that comes out. There's nothing impactful. There's nothing intelligent. There's nothing funny. It's just like this, like, bleh. So but, wait, wait a know, second. So that, I just, that happens to you at that level? hundred percent, hundred percent. Now, again, the, the, the floor right. gets, is, it gets raised. But yeah, there's still a floor because my ceiling's getting raised too. So the floor still feels like the floor. I know what my great is and I know what my bad is. I'll never be uh, uh, what I was at 16. Right, right. That'll never happen um, unless, you know, somebody slips something in my drink and I get hit in the head with a hammer. Like I'll, I'll never, I'll never be that, um, but I'll be at my floor. Like I, you know, I, I, I definitely know what my worst feels like. Um, and I know when I miss stuff and I know, you know, truthfully, like people ask like, Oh, do you remember that line you said like after a show or the next day or whatever it is? Like, I remember nothing that I said that was good. I only will fall asleep that night 
thinking about the lines that I missed. It's like, how did I not say that? It was sitting right there. Yeah. Like, how do you, how did I miss that? You know? Um, I'm the same way. Why, why yeah, do you think that, that, why do you think that is, man? I don't know, dude. I, maybe, uh, I really don't know. It's probably a, it's probably a, a, a deficiency or a, a detriment to, to our mental states because we should be able to like appreciate the good and do all that. Like I wish that I had, you know, the ability to sit there and just be like, Hey, great job. I don't, I, mm -hmm. I'm just sitting there being like, Oh, you're terrible. You know? And, and I guess you could argue maybe that's what makes you better. Um, I, I probably wish I had a little bit more gratitude for, um, you know, what I do, but I don't know. I, I, I get stuck a lot in the, you know, I suck zone. It, it's interesting, man. Cause I'll, um, like Gary Brack is, is, is a Super Bowl champ that comes to mind pretty easy. And I, I like talking to Super Bowl champs that have won it and lost it. And I kind of ask them the question, which one do you think about more often? Bam, without a doubt, the one we lost. Yeah. No shit. The best yeah. feeling you've ever had in your life, winning the Super right, Bowl right. trophy, and you think about the one that you lost more. Yeah. And then he, he kind of, you know, peeled it back saying, well, it was the, the expectations that we had because I already won it. You know, I already knew what that yeah. feeling was like, and I wanted that mm -hmm. one again. And when it didn't happen, it was more painful than actually, like, feeling good. And that's where, you know, losing hurts worse than, than winning even feels good. That kind of back to your 100%. expectations piece. Yeah, 100%. Um, and again, and and when you win one, you know what your ceiling is. You know what the top is. Like, you've been there, you know, and and then you know what the floor is. And, mm -hmm. you know, anybody that anybody that hits their floor, it, that's tough, you know? Yeah. So, Ryder Cup, you were just there, and I'm kind of dating this, but uh, how many Ryder Cups have you, like, been a part of? I've only two. Okay. So a winning one, yeah. then a losing one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what stands out to you about um, both those experiences in terms of, you know, how everything kind of unfolds and goes? You know, I mean, I think it's as first off, I think it's an absolutely spectacular event as most mm -hmm. people do. Um, I just, I love the energy. I love the camaraderie. I like seeing um, these guys test their skill sets in a way that they really don't get to um you know th throughout the year for the most part um i think that you know it's it's the biggest you know form of pressure that these guys can can feel um yes leading a major you know coming down to the last few holes um and having your performance you know truly decide if you win the major or lose the major that's a lot of pressure don't get me wrong but I think any human that um, executes at a, at a top, top, top level will probably tell you there's a hell of a lot more pressure when other people's success and livelihoods potentially, but when other people's success rely on your performance, I just think it's a different level of pressure. That's why I think, you know, team sports are pretty crazy because there's one thing to let yourself down. You know, we all let ourselves down. But when you let yourself down and X, you know, 10 other guys, 11 other guys, that's 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 a heavy burden to bear. Um, and and I, I just like that energy. Um, I like that um, there is not only 11 other guys, but it's also your country. You know, like there's a, it's a heavy, heavy, heavy element to it. 
Um, and I think that just creates, you know, wonderful moments and, and we've seen them. Mm -hmm. you, you've hung out, experienced, observed, I mean, some of the best athletes out of there. Let, let's look at Steph Curry, for instance, man, if you can. You know, I mean, you played golf with him. I mean, playing golf, his mindset, competitiveness, the free-flowing. Like, what did what do you notice, like, in terms – because we watch him play basketball. I don't think people have any idea how good of a golfer that he is. You know I mean? I mean, exceptionally good. When, exceptionally. And he's the type that when the ball leaves his hands, like, you expect it going in. Like, when he misses, it's kind of like, wow, really? He missed? I mean, that's how good, like, he is. When – what do you notice in terms of like when you see him turn it on when he's playing golf, like that mindset piece, what do you see? Oh, I see like the exact same demeanor and feel and flow that he has when he plays basketball. Like, you know, like when he putts, like, or when he'll hit an important shot, he'll do like the little shoulder shimmy. Like, you know, <laughs> like it's the same thing. He just, he 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 truly understands maybe more than anybody how to play in that relaxed state of flow where like whatever happens is going to happen and when you have that kind of talent and you put in that kind of preparation the majority of the time the outcome is exceptional um and when you operate at his level, same thing that we talked about, you understand that you, sometimes it's not going to go your way. Um, and guys like that, you know, a, a dude like him, he, he feels like he can bounce back from anything. Like, you know, it's the it's the ultimate shooter's mentality of, I'll make the next one. I'll make the next one. Oh, you missed seven in a row? Yeah, I'll make the next one. You missed 14 in a row. I'm definitely making the next one. Right. It's just that's the that you can't get a better mentality than that. Um, but, yeah, having played golf with him, like it's silly. I mean, it's absolutely silly. We played this one round probably three years ago. I think it was like at some point during COVID and uh, we were playing uh, San Francisco Golf Club and he was carrying his own bag. So we were all carrying our own bags, no caddies. Nice. Um, so he's reading his own putts, his own yardages. Um, and he, he ends up with an Eagle putt on 18 misses the Eagle putt birdies 18 and shoots 66 and he putted everything out. He just, you know, it was one of the most like spectacular golf performances I've ever seen. And I've seen some awesome ones from some of the best players on planet earth. It was just amazing. And it was just that flow state. Yeah, it is what it is. Boom. And and we all know like the grinder mentality, like the Seve, you know, just I can be anywhere and I will scramble and make par. I don't care where I'm at. Oh, I'm under the bush. Great. I'll make par. Oh, I'm oh, I hit that one out. Okay. I guess I got to make a birdie now to uh to make bogey and then I'm going to make two birdies after that and I'll still be one under after three. Like that's just the the mentality and, you know, our our dude SC30, he's got it. Love it, man. Um, can you talk to us about your time helping families? Because I know this was near and dear to your heart, just especially through COVID. I mean, helping families with food insecurity. Yeah. Um, you know, 2020, I think for all of us was a wild time. Um, you know, I watched like the entire music industry, you know, get put on pause. Um, we saw a lot of people come out okay. And we saw 
a lot of people um, that I don't think probably got the attention that they deserve, like kind of, you know, not fair as well um, without getting political or anything on, on that level. I think the one thing that we could all agree on, and I said this many times when we were performing, um, we were in a pretty divisive time as a country. Um, and you can talk about either side of the spectrum, doesn't matter. But my thing was, the, the one thing I think we can all agree on is that little kids should eat. And my, I had, I, you know, at the time, I think my kids were five and seven, four and six. Um, I couldn't imagine what it would be like to not be able to, to feed my children or to know that they were um, not getting, you know, the nutrition that they needed. Um, number one, if your kids are skipping meals, that means, you know, the parents are too. And that just, you know, it's a vicious cycle. Um, the biggest part that was, was really concerning during that time was that all these private and public programs that were set up to, to, you know, battle food insecurity, which one out of six kids doesn't know where their next meal is coming from in the United States. Um, you know, these programs were shut down. And even if the programs were shut down for a week, that's a week of kids not being able to eat. Um, and, you know, we go back to the Steph Curry thing, um, you know, his foundation with his wife, Aisha, Eat, Learn, Play, you know, their first, you know, core pillar is eat. Like kids need food, they need nutrition. I know that's a super basic thing to say, but, you know, it, it, it really needs to be, um, you know, pounded home because if you're not getting the proper nutrition, you're not going to be a great student. You're not going to be a great athlete. You're you're gonna you're gonna say stuff in class. You're gonna be angry. You're gonna be resentful. Like all the things you can think of that spur off of that simple fact of not having lunch. Um, you know, bad things happen. Um, and you know, if we're trying to get down to root causes in society, I can assure you that's one of the root causes. The scary part is our other great partner, Lineage Logistics, which is the the world's largest uh, food uh, cold storage company. The food exists. All the food is out there. So it's actually not a food issue. It's a logistics issue. It's how do we get this food that exists, a lot of surplus food, et cetera, et cetera. How do we get that food into the hands of these kids? So that's the real rub. Um, it's not actually about, you know, this food that, you know, we create. It's not that we don't have enough food. It's just that we can't get it to the, the, those in need. Um, so we went and we created this tour called the Million Meals Tour. And there were a, a ton of unbelievable families that stepped up to the plate to, uh, to support the tour. Farmers Insurance stepped up big, Lineage Logistics stepped up big, Workday stepped up big, and we were able to like, you know, make a really meaningful, you know, dent in in, in, a, in a problem that's just a, a very basic problem, and it's a basic need, and I don't think that, um, you know, you can really have a, a negative stance on kids should eat in this country. Um, you know, we, we are the wealthiest, most prosperous nation in the history of the world, and, you know, kids should eat. Um, and that was really just the basic of, you know, the basics of, of us doing the tour. So we, we did it, um, you know, essentially for three summers um, and still work, you know, with Eat, Learn, Play, still work with Lineage and, and, and really make sure that, you know, all of our charitable efforts go back to, to those causes. Feeding America was huge. Um, you know, th they were really helpful in helping us have more of a national uh, footprint. So we, we, we did, did a decent amount um, with them. But, 
you know, even to this day, if we go play a show or, you know, there's a charitable component to anything and somebody's like, oh, we'd like to donate to charity of your choice. It's eat, learn, play specifically because, you know, Steph and Aisha Curry fund the entire foundation top to bottom. So 100% of every single dollar that gets donated goes directly to to causes that they vetted. They have a great team over there. Uh, you know, their executive director, this guy, Chris Helfrich, like they work tirelessly to make sure that, you know, the funds that are coming in, the resources that are there are going to the cause. And again, okay. one thing I, one thing I think we can all agree on, kids should eat. Pretty basic, you know? Mm -hmm. I love it, my man. Want to listen to your favorite music, but you're sick of all the commercial interruptions and negative news today? Tune in to KukoRadio.com. Music for your mindset. We're a commercial-free online radio station. Play nothing but hits. Our free iOS and Android apps are available for download at KukoRadio.com. What questions should I be asking that, that I'm not asking? Um, I would say if, you know, we're going music, um, I think the, uh, million dollar, billion dollar, trillion dollar question is, you know, what is the future of music? Um, I think that that is a question everybody's still searching for. Um, my rant on it. Um, and, and, and I bring that question up because I think, you know, music is so universal. People love, love music so much. Um, and as a consumer, we don't care. Like I'm, I'm a consumer of music. I don't care. I just want great music. I want to throw on Spotify. I get excited when I hit, you know, charts or this playlist is custom for you and bam, a song comes up from an artist I've never heard of. And it's amazing. And it becomes my new song for that week, that month, that year, that trip, whatever. Um, I don't think there's ever been a better time to be a music consumer. Um, there's an infinite amount of music and it is absolutely spectacular. It is, it, it's essentially free to listen to. Um, there's no shortage of wonderful, wonderful music that's being made. And there, there's just this wide open landscape, blank canvas anywhere. You can create whatever you want. So for music consumers, I think it is the most wonderful time to ever be alive as a music fan. Um, and I think it's only going to continue to be that for a long time. On the flip side, which is actually completely polar opposite and actually kind of dark and sad, it is probably the absolute worst time to be a music creator. Um, anybody can create music for free. Um, and I say free, all you need is a laptop. You can make a spectacularly sounding record on a, on a, on a basic laptop and even a laptop that's seven years old. Like you really don't have to have, uh, any kind of insane dollars. Most of the people that most people know have a laptop. So even if you can't afford a laptop, it, it's not this outlandish thing. 30 years ago, you couldn't make music, um, unless you had, you know, access to tens of thousands of dollars on the low side and potentially millions of dollars on the high side to make a really great sounding record. And if you spent 25 grand and somebody else spent 2.5 million, that was so noticeable. The difference was so noticeable. Now you, you can't tell. You, you can make a wonderful sounding song in, in your bedroom if you have the right talent. So with that said, it's never been a worse time to be a music creator in that 
you can create for free. Anybody can create. You can distribute for free. You can market for free. It's all free. The problem is everybody can do it. And it's almost been a race to the bottom on a business level, on a monetization level, um, where the music really has no value. Like Spotify has shown us that the music has no value. With the royalty rates that are getting paid, the, the music has no value, which is sad because it's really hard to make music. It's, you know, it's, it, it, it takes a, a, almost a lifetime of dedication to make music and artists just aren't being paid for music. It's a great calling card. It's a great way for, you know, you to monetize a bunch of different verticals, but God, man, you know, we're not valuing music in the way um, that personally I think it should be. Um, it's not my game. You know, we, we, pretty much exclusively do private shows or when we do make music we make it for tv and film so it's a a, a scenario where we are getting paid um a, a significant amount of money up front to make music um but that's the part that makes me sad um when i could or when i came up i could tour and i could sell five thousand cds let's say at right. 10 bucks a cd gross 50 grand i could spend 30 grand on an album I could, you know, play show. There was just money to be made and you could generate. Now, if you spend 50 grand, show me how you make that money back through music. Like you can't, like if 5,000 people like your music, you're going to get paid like 500 bucks from Spotify um, for your, you know, 100,000 spins. Like it's just not going to be anything uh, uh, that's meaningful. Um, so I think the big question is like, where does the music industry go from here? Um, I don't see it getting better, truthfully, because, you know, cats kind of out of the bag, like it's it's um, it's it's sort of, you know, kind of been set in stone. But um, it's never been a better time to be a, a consumer of music and it's never been harder to be a creator of music. And I think it's only going to get harder to monetize that and truly have a career where you can generate meaningful revenue to have, uh, you know, a, a life and a quote unquote you know, uh, a title as I do music for my job. Um, I just, that, that piece makes me sad that these creators, um, aren't going to be compensated in the way that I feel like they should. Mm -hmm. Man, I appreciate you sharing that, man. Yeah, Maybe it's going to behoove us. Uh, it... I was just going to say like, I mean, is it going to be upon like the Taylor Swifts and those type of influencers that that have that clout to be able to one reclaim their own music and then to be able to do that for other artists? Uh, again, I think that that is really the only way. Um, again, the problem with it is that there's really no barriers to entry. So if right. Taylor Swift, I mean, we watch we watch Kanye do it um, with Title. Um, you know, streaming service that I'm sure he had equity in Jay-Z, Rihanna, a bunch of other acts. And Kanye said, well, I'm only going to release my uh, music on title. And no one really cared. Like it was just like, cool. Then we just won't listen to it. Cause I have right. Apple music or I have Spotify or whatever. I just don't know. I, I, I don't know how it, um, I don't know how it changes. It, it has to come from the top. Um, it has to yeah. come from, you know, to your point, Taylor Swift's, uh, Drake, um, you know, the bad bunnies of the world. Like, you know, if, if the Taylor Swifts of the world can like step up and do it, um, that's really the only chance. Otherwise, again, everybody's just, people are going to create art to create art. They're going to make, they're going to make, um, music cause that's what they do. And 
you know, I hate to say it because it's very capitalistic and like kind of cutthroat, but like you need barriers. Like you have in order to have like a uh, ecosystem that you can monetize, like you have to have walls. If you don't have walls, then everything's free. Um, and, you know, you can see it with high end art, right? Like if galleries don't exist and people that set the value of the marketplace for high end art don't exist. Well, everybody's going to make art, you know, and if anybody can just sell art and do whatever, like, you know, people are going to make art because they make art. Somebody has to put up the walls. Somebody has to say, no, 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 no. This is my gallery. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to feature this artist. We're going to have this exclusive deal. We're not selling anything for less than this. We're going to hold back, um, you know, their, you know, product. Like, there's just ways to, you know, basic business maneuvers that, um, you know, create, a, an ecosystem where you can have value in a product, you can increase value and you can, you know, again, create equity in, in, in a brand, be it a, a, a visual artist or, or a musician. Yeah. Um, but I don't know how, I don't know how that turns. I really don't. I just, I, I don't see the pathway for artists to be able to monetize their music. There's just too much of out of, there's too much music and there's only going to be more. And then God forbid we, we, we really like, acknowledge and think about ai and like this battle against like oh we're not going to sign ai artists or this <laughs> five years from now there's going to be i mean why not a billion songs created just by ai right how, how how and why would the consumer care that that's the that's the whole fallacy to this whole thing is like the consumer does not care if a human wrote it or a computer wrote it. If a human sang it or a computer sang it, they don't really care. You know, they might, you know, down the road, okay, I want to see a human perform live, but is it as it relates to a song, as it relates to just something that feels good? Not even a question. Nobody cares. And we don't yeah. care for film. Do you do if if it's if it's a film that absolutely blows your mind, do you care if AI wrote it or a human wrote it? What do you care? I don't care. Give me the best product, right? You know, yeah. Well I mean, I, I, uh, the, the, this this iPhone. I don't care if if all of a sudden, like, I have some crazy new feature. I don't care if AI created the feature. What do I care? Yeah, but that took away 150 engineering jobs at Apple. Uh, okay, I I feel bad about that, but I, again, as a consumer, I don't care, and I'd be lying to you if I said that I cared. And we've already seen it. I mean, again, look at. The, the industrial revolution, like, you know, machines have been taking jobs for a long time. Um, do you care how that shirt you're wearing was made? No, but it, uh, 100 years ago, it was made by 52 um, workers that were getting paid a great wage. Now a machine just goes like this, blank, blank, blank. I, we don't care. So I just see those trends. If you look historically, uh, the consumer doesn't care. Well, then who's going to care? Taylor Swift? She's not going to care. What does she care? So I don't know. I just don't know where the future of music goes. Yeah. And I think it bleeds over into a lot of other industries. You know, music has historically kind of been the first thing to always fall because it's sort of the, the, the weakest in terms of, again, barriers to entry. Um, but I think it's just a sign of, of where a, a lot of things are going. You know, it's just that, you know, technology, specifically AI, um, is, is going to take over a lot. And, yep. you know, I, 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 the consumer doesn't care. And I think there's going to be a lot of great musicians that aren't going to get compensated fairly, um, you know, 
moving forward in the future, which is yeah. super sad to me as a musician that was able to do it in a certain way, um, you know, as yeah. a young artist. Kelly James, my man, buddy, fired up, man. I'm, I'm, I mean, great question. I'm glad you answered that, man. Cause that's, that's awesome. I really <laughs> appreciate that. Hey, did we, can we, can we sign it off, man? Can you give us like a little, a little sample? hundred percent. Um, all right. I don't know if the audio is going to pick up. I would have, I would have plugged in had I known. Oh, and we're out of tune. What about the freestyle? No, well, we'll do the free, We're going to do both. I got, we oh, got, okay. we got backups on backups here. <laughs> of course. All right, closer. All right, give me a, um, can you hear the guitar at all or no? Not yeah, really? Little. Yeah. All right, well, I'll use the guitar and then uh, hopefully the uh, at least the, the vocal comes across in the right way. All right, give me, give me just a random topic. Give me like a random word, a thought, anything you want. Dormy. Dormy, I like that. I'm going to switch this and we're going to see if this works here. Yeah. I'm going to go, give me one second. I think this might be better audio. I'm a, kind of an audio nerd, you know. And I would have plugged in had I known, and I'm sorry about that. All right. That sounds good. Does that sound better? All right, Dormy, give me one more, uh, give me one more word besides Dormy. called Dormy and Birdie. Hopefully you can hear it. Everybody knows that life, it ain't easy. It's a competition every day. And everybody knows you try, all of us, just to go and play like we talked about in the last hour you can't be sour everybody knows it's now or never cause life is a lot like golf you see and sometimes you're dormy sometimes you have no choice but to go and understand there's no winning we all know tie is the only outcome you see am i dormy or are you dormy it confuses me and we're on 18 we got one hole to play but yeah let's see i got a chance to tie the match and it's okay because honestly we can't win every day sometimes you lose and that's cool too gotta prepare the right way yeah you and i talked about it earlier and that's true everybody knows you just gotta follow through to the end of the round and you gotta throw it down and it doesn't really matter if the other team's got that sound in your ear they could get chirpy but you gonna drop that putt and make birdie even though you were dormy it's okay you push the match that's a metaphor for every day just trying to push and go along and that little path and honestly sing your own song you started off the round 
You were like, I need just to make 18 birdies Cause that's the philosophy that you need To have to achieve a good victory But we know that that's not really how it goes Double bogeys left and right You like, oh, but you gotta bounce back That's the mental space that you gotta be in every day And it's okay if you don't make a single birdie all round And they got you dormy Now you found yourself You're back against the wall You can tell you're like, oh my god this round's going to hell but just tie it up and get focused too all we need is a birdie from you my dude we could do it like that you see even if you dorm me you could still have a mini victory and make sure that you tie at the end of the round and that's all right because that's how it is clearly you could tell shout out to my dude that's robert my man yeah bud <laughs> Thank you so much, my man. That was awesome, bud. Appreciate you. Absolutely. Good to see you. Thanks for listening to Mental Toughness with Dr. Rob Bell. To find out more about Dr. Rob, visit his website at drrobbell.com or follow him on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell. And subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform to get the next episode of Mental Toughness as soon as it's available. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.